This is the Moving Iron Podcast, the only podcast for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number eight. I'm joined today with Aaron Fentel from 21st Century Equipment. Aaron's a good friend of mine and he was going to be my first guest on the very first one because we talked about doing this a long time ago and um, never got together in the day that I was going to do the first one. He had something come up last minute, couldn't make it. So I told him we'd circle back around and, and pick him up. And so here we are. Um, Aaron, glad you're on my podcast. It's good to be here, man. Circle right. circle the wagons and here we are. That's right. Full circle, baby. Um, so today, you know, Aaron pretty much deals in, in the wholesale in a, of the business completely. And he works with uh, dealers and and jockeys and you name it across uh, across all the country and uh so has a pretty good feel for for what's going on there and on top of that um Aaron and I worked together for about three years and um so we have a good we were about what eight feet apart at one time yeah and so we were uh we got a pretty good relationship with each other so Aaron before we get started I always ask guys kind of give a little little bit of their background and kind of where they come from and, and kind of what their philosophies are. So what's your, what's your, what's Aaron's fennel background? Oh, good heavens. It's, it's vast, vast and boring. I'm a, uh, machinery, complete and utter machinery geek pretty much since birth. Uh, grew up on pretty big dry land family farm with Massey Ferguson so I didn't grow up bleeding IH, bleeding deer, always had an open mind and can appreciate junk better than the average person. Um, so that's kind of from honest to God from birth, I've just loved the machinery business. And uh, when I was, God, how old was I? Four or five, our two machinery salesmen, I thought we're like the coolest guys on earth and one of them you know that that would have been in the mid 80s casey and one of them i mean this dude he was a salesman he had snakeskin boots top two buttons undone gold chain slick back hair he was the man he really was and uh i always thought he was just cool as hell the other one tractor pulled so you know he was cool and went through high school pretended to play college football for a year and then I went to ag school for and I was going to be like a DSM for seed company or something I thought that'd be all right that'd be a cool job you know and then by the end of the first day of college I took sales class and I was like holy shit that's where I need to be so I went on an internship with Buffalo which is now Buffalo Hinky but back then they were kind of more of a they're, they were their own company, cultivators, feed wagons, um, hay equipment, that kind of thing. And I did kind of a, I was an intern there and helped with like farm show coordination and all that, which was awesome, really cool job when I was 21. Went and worked at a, the company was a little rocky, so I went and worked for a dealership that I had interviewed with prior to internship they were a uh, single store red dealer central nebraska worked there for 
five years. And then I moved back home to Deschler, Nebraska, is where I was born and raised, Deschler Dragons. And uh, went and worked at the local red dealer back home for two and a half years. Um, quit the machinery business and sold commercial grain handling. You know, like commercial grain bins, that kind of thing. Elevator legs. That And that was during the big ethanol plant boom where every five miles they were going to build an ethanol plant. So... That was that was honestly pretty entertaining and very very out of my comfort zone, but it was it was good experience. And then I came to Twenty First. I was retail salesman in Alliance for two years and been in the wholesale dude ever since. So that's where I got where I'm at. Yeah. So I would say. Uh... When you and I started that, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and we kind of bring that whole thing together. We learned a lot, and then kind of put that stuff into play. Mm-hmm. And now you have a pretty good, pretty good network of folks that you work with. And and mm-hmm. so I would say of of all the guys that I work with um, on strictly just the wholesale side of the business, talking strictly just dealer to dealer stuff, not not auction stuff, but just on that phase of the business, I feel like you have probably one of the, the best networks that I've, that I, I could say I, that I know of. So with all that going on there, what do you see happening in the, in the business right now? You know, where is things picking up, things slowing down? Where, where's the business? Where do you think the business is going to go over the next nine months? Nine months. Well, that's a good damn guess. <laughs> The, uh, I will, uh, to, to recap where we are, you know, almost halfway through, uh, what is it? 2017. Yep. It's been the first half of the year as a whole has been better than I expected as far as purely wholesale activity. Now, obviously the wholesale world is nothing but price driven. Okay. If it's, it don't matter if it is a donkey with three legs if the price is right you can move it so there's there's always that aspect of it in the wholesale world um there has been a lot of times throughout the year where i've been completely wrong on something you think you have an absolute home run and you just absolutely cannot give it away you know like uh super cheap 8R, 9R, something like that. And you think, oh my goodness, this thing will take 15 seconds and shit, it takes more than 15 days. Um, and then conversely, you might have something that you just never, never think in a million years you're going to get moved and, you know, pops right away. So it's, it's a very, it's very fickle. Wholesale is always fickle, always. Um, and I think a lot of that is because half, half of, probably more than half of the wholesale business that I personally do is the jockeys, okay? Selling to jockeys, selling to auction yards, what have you. And that is just, if, if the cash is there, they'll spend it. If they're loaded up, they can't buy anything. 
So that, that drives a lot of that fickle there. You know, I've had guys point blank tell me numerous times through the years, like, wow, that is a hell of a deal, but I can't buy it, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So, and nothing will piss you off more than that. Um, if you're passionate about the business and anybody that knows me knows I'm slightly passionate about it. The, uh, but the year as a whole has been, it's been, it's better than I thought. It's a little more confusing than it has been just because of the hits and misses. Um, the next nine months, I, I'm hundred percent certain will be softer than the first half or say the second nine months is pushing it say the second half of 17 i guarantee you will be softer than the first half of 17 um and some of the big winners in the first half of 17 were say anything under a hundred thousand and i know you know you and i in our weekly conversation discuss that it don't matter what it is if it's under a hundred you could move it and I think there will be less of that and more of a specific target. Now, as far as what will be targeted, you know, obviously you got combines um, and high horsepower, whether that's eights, nines, whatever. The high horsepower market, I think, will be a strong suit, but combines i and i combines always move you know that's as you 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 and i were tied together in this world for a while and that was the number one thing when i started this job was move combines move combines move combines and i think the industry as a whole has fixed itself a lot in the combine world there's still some fools out there there's still problems but the, the combine industry as a whole has fixed itself, but nobody's out there threshing by hand. So combines are always going to move. It's just where at, when at, how at. Yeah. Well, it seems like combines are always that one thing that <clears throat> everybody has a lot of. And the, the, of the things that they sell outside of tractors, I think combines the next thing that, that guys really kind of gravitate towards. Because when it comes to farming, you know, you, you, two things are the most important on the farm is a planter and and what you then what you cut the crop with, not your combine, you know. So there seems to be a, you know, that pull towards the combine is always going to be there. It's also the easiest thing to go out and and sell that that generate big dollar values. You know what I'm saying? Right. So <clears throat> right. And here we are looking at um, the S. 700 series combine coming out and and what that's going to be and how that's going to affect the marketplace. Um, also known as the brand new John Deere box of wires and switches. <laughs> there is, there is a lot of technology on that one. That is for sure. They've got, they got a lot of technology, but I think it's going to be a uh, technology that's going to help guys become more efficient for sure. Um, but there are, there are a lot of, a lot of technology there and, and a lot of, a lot of information that, that is going to, uh, come from that. So, um, if, if, for people that don't know Aaron, he mean he still prefer a forty-four forty and a, uh, a fifteen hundred grain drill to go out and farm with. So he's he's kind of old school for a for a guy that's in his his mid thirties. 
Yes, I'm. I I am a little throwback, but the and you know I say the box of wires and switches, and quite honestly, I know guys who have switched. I I have a good friend of mine bleeds Lexion for combines, right? Poor guy, poor poor guy, and used to have Kinsey planners, and he's always been John Deere tractors. Okay, over the years. He got a John Deere planner, and he had to pay a lot more for it than, you know, than a Kinsey, especially when he traded the Kinsey for the deer, and he discovered, wow, things talk, and I sold him a, he wanted a second combine, didn't want to buy an S, so I sold him a 9870 a couple years ago, so now he's John Deere planting, John Deere steering, John Deere applying, John Deere harvesting and 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 he's I mean he's a John Deere mailbox guy so it's not out of the realm but and and he he is a throwback guy I mean he's got three sheds full of collector muscle tractors right I mean he likes levers and smoke and all that shit too but you know he made the comment just last weekend he says it's all about the screens he says, honest to God, whatever I do, he says, and I, he says, I think it's stupid. He goes, but that's where the, he says, that's where Furman's at. He says, it is all about the screens, you know, meaning data information. And that's, and that's what farming is. You know, if, if you have the mindset like I do, you know, hell, I don't farm for real. And if you have that mindset, you're not going to be around very long. You know, especially when you're, when corn is free, like it is right now, wheat, you have to pay the elevator to take wheat, you know, when, when we're in markets like that, and it makes my skin crawl to admit things like this and say it out loud, but that's where the industry is at, man. If you are, you know, even God, soybeans, say you're variable rating soybeans and you variable rated, you know, whatever micronutrients you were putting on and all this shit you might make a quarter more per acre than the neighbor and he might be selling next year and you're gonna buy his place over that one quarter and i mean 25 cents not quarter ground a quarter per acre you know and that's and that's where that shit's at and it's like i said it drives me crazy i'm old school i'm not terribly old school i would drive like a 8400 but I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Everything is, it's data, it's information, it's processing it. It is very, very strict and stringent management practices, top to bottom. Would you put a uh, steering valve on your 8400? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because if you're, if you got your steering valve, you can swivel your seat, you know, I have uh-huh. a seat swivel on them. You can swivel your seat. You could be on Facebook, be on Twitter, Netflix, whatever. You can get everything done that way. Yeah. Yeah. You could be Facebook chatting with Machinery Pete, mm-hmm. talking about cool shit. You can't do that if you got to steer. Yeah. Well, you can. I've done it, but it's harder. It's a little more difficult. Yep. It is. It is. So when you take a look at, let's talk about planners. So here's what we're, this is kind of the, I've been looking at planners, value in planners mm-hmm. here for the past 
I don't know, three weeks now, and, and we're, we're actually have more planner activity now than we've had probably in the past two years. Right. Um, and I've always said that the used equipment is driven by two things. One is desire to upgrade your machine, and the other one is your desire not to pay a shop bill. And so a lot of these guys have ran their planters now for three, four years. They've got some big acres on them now. We're looking at planters that have... 20,000 acres on them um, when they would, you know, we're talking about guys that have normally 4,000 acres or so that they're putting on them. So they're wanting to jump up there. When I look at the planter market, I don't see that there's much out there. We kind of went through this purge of, of planters three or four years ago. And now here we are, there's not a big demand or not a lot of inventory anyway for used late model, low acre planters out there. Guys are kind of going out there and and looking at trading their planters off to get new ones. I'm really encouraging that because I think if we're going to generate a used marketplace, that's the best place to do it because realistically, there's not a big supply of used planters on the market. What do you see out there? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, I guess where I'm coming from is, you know, and I'm in my world i and i this is dear god this is not the company mantra so don't throw rocks i don't care about market share i don't care about volume you know my world is you got to have it right okay so that's that's what i look at um let me say that first of all the planner market you know, like, like what you just said, you know, I could see guys hearing that and going, yeah, he's right. God, we're light on planners. We really need to step into them this year. No, you don't need to step into them this year. You can, you know, I, I can tell you for a fact, I know we have, I know you have, are allowing more for the same planner today than you would have been two years ago. You know? It's there's I know when we went through the purge and God putting, you know, all these 24 rows on on uh, auctions, you know, on site, online, whatever, and just throw up in your mouth for what they bring. And that exact same planner today is worth more than it was then, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's trade in, whether it's auction, whatever. And that's because the numbers aren't there. You know, they're just they aren't there. And how many guys can afford with $3 corn, whether they're doing all the data management or not, how many of them guys are going to walk in and say, I want a new 24-0 exact emerge with hydraulic down, active hydraulic downforce and hydraulic row cleaners, and I want it to dance on the end of the field and do the YMCA and all that shit. That's a very, very expensive planner, you know. They might they might have a fourteen and be like shit. Well, I'd like to get a new eighteen, but I think that sixteen over there is going to work. You know, so there's there's a lot of that that's going to happen. I think I know every dealer in the country that I've talked to has had an enormous push on planters. Um, it. In, in, in corn areas, if they plant one acre of corn, there's been a big push on planters. Just because that is an area, as a dealer, we can 
get more aggressive at, and I don't necessarily mean allow more for trade-ins. I just mean get more aggressive with that portion of the business as a whole. So the numbers are down. The values are up a tick. Um, but there again, it all depends what it is. For instance, out here, just, just to give you a feel, out here, a very popular planner, and I would say pretty much, I call it the western half of the wheat belt, okay? Middle of Texas up into Canada. The western half of the wheat belt, a 12-row 1720 has been the planner, okay? Always has been. And in, you know, most of Nebraska, half of Kansas, you know, that kind of thing. That's always been a very, very popular planner. And that is a planner that it did get soft. It didn't get puking your mouth soft like a 24-0, like, you know, the 13s and 12s and 11s and all them. But it did get soft, but it was never that soft. And that's, you know, a market that just never fluctuated a hell of a lot. So you're not going to see a lot of change in there um, versus 24-0 CCS planners. Well, I think you're, you're right, but the 24-row planner, when it, when we were purging that out, that was coming off the highs of the, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, when everybody had a bunch of money and everybody went out and got a 24-row planner. There are exactly. more 24-row planners on the marketplace than there was anywhere. That was what was driving that market. Right. You know, and so that was, there. I would say, just kind of rough guess here, that there were, there were easily more 24-row planners out there than there were 16s or 12s. Most 1720s are 12 row planners. Right. You know, and especially in wheat country, most of that stuff's 12 row, maybe 16 row, but a lot of that's 12 row. I would say the 12 row planner market really never fell off like the rest of it did when you're comparing MDPs. You know what I'm saying? Correct. As a, as a percentage of selling. So I think, I think you're right. But my, my aggressive nature in planners right now and going out and pushing that is that I think guys are primed to go out and start selling or trading what they have in because they are looking at some significant reconditioning costs to get their planter to go back out and plant next year. Right. You start looking at bearings and discs and you got, you know, all the stuff that you go into making, making a uh, planter go to work. So I, I think there's going to be some definite action there. And back to your point earlier about the quarter per acre thing, I mean, you look what the new planner can do, if whether it's just a ME5E or an EE, um, you're gaining a lot because now you're taking you're taking variable rate to a whole new level because it's it's every single row that you can do so much with, and it's a it's it's an awesome awesome piece of technology that's going to help you increase your efficiencies and profitability. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean you could you could go. You could hijack a Mexican truck that's hauling 7,100s down south and get that planter for free, take it into your dealer, and, I mean, you could, there's so much planter technology, whether it's deer retrofit or the almighty precision. I mean, you can put anything you can possibly think of on a planter. And, you know, it could be the most run-of-the-mill damn thing, and when you're done, Damn near plan itself. Yep. yep. It's almost like a magic wand. All you have to do is sit there. 
Yep, and the, the the things you can tie to them as well, to where you limit your trips across the field, whether it's a one tripper or or whatever it is, you know, that you can do to those things to to increase your you know your lack of of machine time and all that stuff. So plus the speed and everything else that you can do with them now, you are really increasing your your efficiency when you're about doing well that, yeah so. and it, you know that for a fact when john deere themselves you know their their planner clinic videos they got going on right now one of the first things they say is you don't need a bigger planner you no. know you can about see the farmers fall on the floor like what really yeah i don't i don't need a 137 row in a pilot car to move it down the road a mile and, you know, I know guys that have bought Exactemerge, not because they want to go 10 mile an hour, because let's be honest, unless you're out there with a rototiller and a garden rake, good luck with your 10 mile an hour. But they want to go eight and do it perfect. Right. And that's that management piece of it, you know. You got that seed in that brush belt, it ain't going anywhere until it's in the true V. Yeah. Yep, and I think we had a... Uh, I need to get that video from the guy, but he has an exact 24 row exact emerge and he's going, I can't remember how fast he was going. I want to say he was going like 9.9 miles an hour or something like that. 9.8, something like that. And it showed the monitor and he was planting 72 acres an hour. Right. And, I mean, I'm just like, holy crap, you know, he's just flying across the field and just going after it, you know? And, yep. um, it's a, it's just amazing piece of technology. So it's, I think, when you start looking at those things, the amount, the speed that you can do it, the fast, the time it takes you to do it, and and the, you know, and you start looking at how much fuel you're using, and all that kind of stuff goes back to your quarter per acre scenario you had earlier. It does. It's an expensive planner. There's no doubt about it. But I think that your your residual payback on that is is fairly quick in comparison. Right. So, what do you think about um, sprayers right now? We can't seem to keep an R4038 in inventory um, for very long. And the ones we have seem to sell pretty fast. With us being a CAD dealer, the things that we bring in have uh, have higher hours on them, which I th I think on those, that sprayer and, and the situation that we're in actually helps us um, because it brings the price down and they can get into some pretty good technology. That's um, exactly right. The the lower hour stuff that we have, we have struggle, struggle with getting that done. And it it kind of all comes back to the earlier statements that we've made about you then in turn have to find someone to buy a, you know, $285,000 something, you know, and how far back from a new one is that? And then normally the guy that's going to buy that, that <clears throat> low hour used one um, is probably the same guy that can afford to buy the new one too. So you're kind of trying to figure out who needs to do what with what. So um, what do you see in the sprayer market right now? Uh, super hot, super hot, whether 20 is not so much. Um, if it's a cheap 20, it'll pop thirties and ours are pretty hot and it doesn't matter from, from the, from the 4730 to the R4045, every one of them is hot. Um, but I would agree with you. Hours don't seem to be that big of an issue because of $3 corn, yep. you know, um, that, the, the, the more hour I would completely agree with you. The more hours, the better to a point to get the price down. Yeah. 
from from the CAD scenario because we're also yeah. CAD, yeah. and those guys are, you know, they're it's it's a it's a tool. It's like a wrench in the toolbox. They're not married to it like the farmer, and it doesn't go to birthday parties and such. So that that has a different impact on it. You know, they're they are a dollars per hour guy, cut and dried. It's worth what it's worth, whatever. And when they put a little more hours on them and stuff like that, you know, it, it, it helps. And there are, I know quite a few farmers that have bought CAD sprayers that in the past would have no ink, no desire to purchase one. Right. Yep. And I think, um, but the key to that is also is that the reason the, the machines that we have that we're selling and we're moving them out quickly is not because of they have a thousand hours on or whatever it is. It's because we have them priced according to the marketplace. We're not That's being great. we're not being crazy about how we're pricing stuff and, and the trade values that we're given. Um, we are being probably aggressive on some stuff more than we are others. Um, I, I've adjusted the way I look at our series sprayers over the past probably two months. You know. <clears throat> um, comparatively what's out there compared to what our sales data, our internal, you know, POP sales data tells us, you know, <clears throat> so there's some stuff out there that we're, that we're working through, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll say that if we have a 800 to 1500 hour R series sprayer, we have plenty of action on it. Right. As long, you know, I mean, that tells me that we have price the machine priced in a, in a good spot. Well, as long as it's the right machine, I mean, right. You know, you don't want a R4038 with a 20 foot boom or some shit like that. Well, yeah, they, they might want more than just the, the boom tip on. The, yeah. On it's, the back. it's a wheel, wheel track sprayer. Yeah. They want, if you have, if you need compacted soil, that's a special option. Right. <laughs> 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 The old half track system. <clears throat> they have a mist that, blower, a mister. Yeah, just a, just put a big fan on the ass end and open a valve. Done yep. deal. And just kind of let it drift across the field that way. Do not spray dicambo with that, by the way. Yeah, that'd be bad. You might not. You might not like the hurt feelings and hurt faces. Yeah, they wouldn't be too. It would make you would you wouldn't win any hearts and minds doing that. <laughs> what? Uh, so we've talked about combines, planters, and sprayers. Yep. Probably the next one out there that we really need to spend some time with, I think. Lawn is, mowers, well, push mowers. Hell of a push mower market right now. We're, we're really getting after it. You know, the, the Honda mower sales are through the roof. and uh, Honda Power. Honda bring, Power products sold here. Bringing it hard, you know, especially with the mulch on demand uh, yep. functions that they have. It's great. Not only that, the resale value on an SB14 is still pretty high. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. You can't be, get it. Look at some F five twenty fives and five was it five seven twenty fives? So seven, are, yep. So you can get a little three wheel action on there. Absolutely. Zero they were zero turn when zero turn wasn't cool. That's right. Yeah, they were well ahead of their time. Absolutely. But high horsepower tractors, row crops. What do you think what are you seeing out there right now as far as that demand goes? I it seems to me when I look at the eight three seventy Rs that are low-houred units that you think there'd be some some a little play for. I'm just not seeing a bunch of guys line up to buy $250,000 wholesale tractors like I would have seen maybe a year or two ago. 
I would disagree with that. Okay. Where I think the most action is, is the really, well, I said one by dollars is not the right way to put that. Real late model, real low houred, super, super hot. Um, you get into, and I'm using three seventies because this might as well be called eight, three seventy R century equipment incorporated. Um, that, that is, that is by far the flagship that tractor, you get into the middle range. Okay. Like a, a 15 or 16 in the 700 to 1500 hour range. I don't know that there's a right number on that. Honest to God, dumb as that sounds, that is a hard, hard tractor to peg. Okay. Cause it feels like for, for what wholesale is. And that's, and that's what makes it hard there too. The wholesale on that damn tractor might change 20 grand week to week, depending on moods, depending on appetite, what have you. Right. You cannot peg it. Whereas low hour 16s are hot. Um, I won't call them high houred, but higher houred. Um, 14s, 15s, you can pop them too. It's that goofy mid range, mid hour range on on any any big 8R. I'll say big 8Rs. That is, it's the shits right now. It really is because you might, you know, your your history, your analytics. Because I'm a very analytic human being. You look at the analytics to it, and they're, you know, you think, just like I was saying at the beginning, what's hot, what's not, what's confusing, or I'm the one that said it's confusing. There are some of some of them big 8Rs that you're like, boy, this, boom, gone. Nope, still here a month later, you know. It's that, it's that mid, mid-hour range that is a head-scratcher. And I, you know, and, and that is because... It all generates from new, right? The entire equipment business. They don't deer quit building used tractors a couple years ago. I know. So I think the last one was a Waterloo boy, maybe, but with ILS, the, uh, it starts from new and that, that mid hour range is also the hardest to trade for. Yeah. Because that guy. That farmer, well, shit, this, you know, this ain't a 2,500-hour tractor. Well, that's right, but it's not a two- or 500-hour tractor, you know. And that's that is that's the hardest area to trade a guy out of because of their connections and passions. And quite honestly, if even if you dig into the numbers of it for the number cruncher guys, it's also the hardest to trade out of. And when you say so, mid-range, you're talking like, thousand hour machines or i'm talking talking, say say 800 say 700 hours to 1750 we'll call it in that thousand hour block okay okay that's that's mid hour range for the for the age attractor and you think that that, you know it's hard to trade a guy out of that because the amount of money the difference that you're gonna have to draw to get to the new one is that, what you, is that what you're saying? The amount, yes, yes, that's what I mean. Okay. <clears throat> to get that tractor right in your inventory, mm-hmm. it's the hardest tractor to trade for. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of I see your point. I would think, to me though, that machine that when you, if you get that machine into your inventory, it's it's an easier machine to sell than on either side of that. A thousand hour block, because you're getting that that second tier buyer, you know, like your first tier trade buyer, and then your second tier trade buyer. That's where that machine is going to fall into, and they're going to fall into that. You start looking at TVPs for that machine and how you have it booked. You're you're looking at leasing a machine there that's going to be pretty attractive. Probably if far you get it traded for right, that's what I'm getting back to. I'm not <clears> saying, <throat> and and I'm talking wholesale right now because right. that's what you asked. That's what you asked me, math teacher. Right. <laughs> the wholesale that's the hardest tractor to move. Retail, it's not bad at all because you're right. You got an 800 hour tractor there. That thing will lease for three pennies a day. Right. That, so if think, you get it right, because guess what? The TVP can be whatever the hell you want, but if you don't have it right, you, it don't matter. Yeah. No, I see I see what your your direction, your point that you're taking there. I get that. But there's If you're applying trade numbers and visions of sugar plum fairies dancing in your head cuz you're dreaming, TVP don't matter. This TVP not now I'm just I'm talking, I'm just thinking here. When I look at trading, TVP plays a big part in in how I look at the value of the machine. I I understand that, and you're above average intelligence. The industry doesn't not not everybody in the industry does that. Is what I'm saying. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I get that, but I still think you they know have everybody, to have everybody does everything block. different. Right. Me personally, I look at trade values a lot, and I don't look at TVP. You don't so you don't look at TVP in your correlation to your ass price. No. And how you're going to sell it and what the potential for a lease payment might look like. No, I don't. But I'm also not the remarketing manager. Mm. Well, that's you have a different you have a different perspective. That's for sure. Right. That's exactly. I mean, a different, different role. Different seat on the bus. Yeah. I'm the driver. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking more like the guy in the back on the. On the one passenger seat bench in the back by the door. Mm-hmm. Letter jacket, pack of smokes rolled up in his t-shirt sleeve. Right. Still, still riding the That's bus right. when you're 16 because you're cool. <laughs> Probably from speeding tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took my pickup in the pasture and tried to duke the hazard it, and now I got to ride the damn bus. So. Looking There's out a true there. story about that, by the way. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. <laughs> so now we're looking big picture. End of the year. Yep. Crop prices seem to have this looming suspicion that there might be a, 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 a ramp up a little bit in price. Wheat price down here has actually come up pretty good for us down here in Kansas. So we got guys selling across the scale at four plus a bushel, four dollars plus a bushel. So there's there's some guys you know poking their head up. Sounds like there's going to be some play in, in soybeans. Um, thinking yeah, that's going to have a uh, a huge swing, kind of like last year, where we had this last quarter kind of bump that kind of rode into the first month or so of January. Yeah, and quite honestly, and this this is just just my thinking. So drop the rock out of your hand. No need to throw rocks. My thinking is it's become so habitual to do that from the good years that 
if there's a quarter, it's going to spend 50 cents. I know for a fact that's happened numerous times. Now, obviously, if they're not going to buy it to put on their farm sale in March, but when I started in this business in 2000, there, so I've been doing this 17 years, fingers on the desk. There, there, <laughs> there, there was none of that. I started selling in 2000 and I don't remember a guy buying for tax stuff into the year push, you know, all that kind of stuff till like Oh five. And that was some bleak damn times back then, dude. Corn was like a dollar eighty. People were leaving, you know, pigs on the side of the road. No shit. I saw that more than once because pigs were free. And that's when more guys had pigs, you know. Now there's forty thousand in a shed or you don't have any. Soybeans were four bucks. Everything sucked. Everything was awful. And there just wasn't any of that. So you go from 05 to 12 and it's a climb 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 that whole way seven years of up okay and a pretty good up curve it becomes a habit it becomes a habit guys are used to it you know we had really good years a couple two three real good years in the mid 90s right 95 96 right in that time frame well that was coming after a decade and a half of crap. So, you know, you, you found, you get into this new, you're looking shit. You're, you're 20, 30 years down the road. You're, you're the, the guy that was a kid is now in charge and well, hell we've been, you know, Oh, end of the year, we got to go buy something. That's what I mean by that being a habit. It, it's a culture. It's the emotions, the culture. There do dollars and cents and management and all that play into it? Yes, they do. And if there is a glimmer of light in that tube they're looking in, then yeah, they're gonna go get some stuff. It's nothing like it used to be, but for that long ass winded answer, yes, I think there will be will be a little end of the year push. And I think there always will be unless things are completely, utterly puking your mouth, gross, awful, better go be the greeter at Walmart type deal. Don't you think a lot of that drive to the end of the year purchasing part of that, what, you know, 179 had a lot to do with that? Oh, and tremendously. All that. I mean, that, that's really where that came from because guys were like, well, hell, I can go out and take my entire trade difference on my mud now and and write that off exactly so now my my tax liability just got decreased by up to five hundred thousand dollars right you know so that that was there i think nowadays guys have more planning and more they plan their purchases more now than they probably have in the past and they're looking at their inventory i think what's going to continue to drive the end of the year purchasing deal has a lot to do with not you know, EOPs will continue to have some influence over people and the way they buy stuff. I will think, I do think there's going to be guys that were going to forego a certain percentage point of the EOP to make sure that they've got the bushels they need on their wheat and they got soybeans in the ground for their double crop and they're getting their, that stuff's coming up and what their dryland corn looks like and all those kind of things are going to play into account 
before they go buy something that just happens to be at the end of the year before they understand what that looks like. Yeah, that that's an excellent point, but I would split that up a little bit because I, I completely agree with you. A guy's going to take a 6% instead of an 8% to make damn sure he can even do the six. Right. You know, and that's basically what you're saying there. Right. But we as dealers, I, I feel like really have the farmer population accustomed to, you know, they're not going to come in in December and want to order a new planter. Right. Well, they know they're not going to get it. Right. Well, they can't even order it then. Right. You know that, and that's what I'm saying though. So I think in a lot of the EOP stuff, is I I don't feel has very much tie-in with year-end. Unless they are that good of a forecaster, that tight of a manager, all that, where, well, I don't need to run in here December 15th because I ordered that S780 box of wires in July. Right, but they're going to have... Um... Look at the stuff that's sold to the end of the year, though. It's it's DPFS stuff that's laying around, you know. Right. Stock new right. stuff, and most of that's tractors, right? Right. So they're buying that loader tractor. They're buying that 9R or 8R or whatever it is that they're buying. Um, 1025R. 1025R. Get a sweet mud deal. Absolutely. Red bow. <clears throat> Get after it. Bag and, of toys. But you have to be able to say... I think that there's more planning on the larger ticket items than there are on the smaller ticket items. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Always and last be. year, I think, in my opinion, last year was a fluke because, in a lot of guys' mind, because they didn't think they were going to have the cash that they were going to have. Soybeans took a crazy run right in, what, August maybe? Right. And they, they started taking off and going, and that just kept going all the way through November. Right. And that's when they sold all their their stuff off and lo and behold they made some money that they, that they probably weren't expecting to make based on how they planned for the year when it started in the year right yeah well yeah and <clears throat> and what helps that is when it is so good and turns so bad and quite honestly quick damn quick yeah that that really makes everybody just stop in their tracks tighten up breathe and then go okay let's go get a tractor yeah. Yep. Auction market was hot. We think the auction market is going to look like. Huh. Um, well, right now it's pretty quiet. There's not a lot of stuff going on. There's no. a few retirement sales and those kind of things happening. But my opinion, if you have a late and low hour model piece of equipment and you want to try to sell that on your own on the open market, this is the best year to do it. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna try it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because you're going to get more. There's no competition. You're not. You're going to put your 17 model something in a. Which I don't know why you do that. But your 16 model, your 17 model something into an auction right now. There, there's, there aren't a bunch of dealer inventory to, to compete against. Right. You know what I mean. So you you might have the only game in town that particular at that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but if you're a farmer and you put it on that auction, there'll be eight dealers that are bidding on it anyway. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? If you have a if you had a, a farmer estate sale 
at this place, you know, and a bunch of farmers got together and put their stuff on there, you would see a, I think you'd see that happen. I think you'd see a lot of that stuff bring basically what we'd be asking for. Yeah. Are not, are not that far off from it. Yeah. Um, Maybe be, 5% back of ask. Yeah. And I, and I, and which would be a lot of times we, by the time it's all said and done, that's about where we're at when we sell it anyway. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? On a good day. On <laughs> a know? good day. Here's your hat and a handshake. Right. So I think there's I probably. Will, I will say this. <clears throat> I think, um, I think like the farmer estate auctions will be higher than the auction yard auction or the dealer auction. That's a that's a great point there, Captain Obvious. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, how's, how's wheat harvest going down south? And and have you guys started cutting down there yet? Like I think Wells? in the I think in the C I don't know that they've got rolling yet in the CW. I think they started uh, maybe a little bit last week. I know around Flagler, Burlington. I mean, it's it's day to day. Yeah. Ramped, ramped up and ready, um, you know, and then, it, you know, that's with with our territory and being so long north to south, you know, it's we kind of have our own little bitty harvest run here within it because every damn store's got wheat and it's like 500 miles long, but the... Uh, you know, it, it's it's a nice slow progression, so you can kind of figure on, well, this week these guys are going, and at the end of that week these guys, and just kind of goes north. Um, there always is a stop in action between, say, Sydney and Alliance, and that's only 80 miles. But And I, I live in Alliance still, and it's just like a little piece of Canada right there, so stuff's a little later all the time, but. It's, I, I haven't heard anything yield wise. Um, I know in Western Kansas, that snow was that big damn snowstorm. There was just a total ass kicker. Custom cutters that I do a lot of dealing with are pretty down in the mouth just because what is there sucks. And there's a lot that just isn't there, but I do know parts of NCK, North central Kansas, Mm -hmm. um, you know, both sides of the border. I know way Southern Nebraska back in the homeland there, there's the guys were cutting wheat this week and it was decent, you know, 40, 50. We've had, uh, <clears throat> so I spent the day in Kingman today at our Kingman store and was down in Anthony yesterday. And those are our two furthest West stores. And they, and well, I guess Winfield's the same way. I was over there yesterday too, but that's they're east. pretty, they're, that's what I said. East. But they have, they have. Kingman and Anthony are your furthest west, and then you were at Winfield yesterday, and I was correcting you and saying Winfield is east. East and I'll just play back the tape for you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway. So they had, they're almost done cutting, but I've heard everything from forty bushel up to ninety bushel, just depending on where you're at, and so there's some good stuff going there, and of course the Andale store and our McPherson store, that little stretch between there is probably our. And Marion is probably our best wheat ground, you know, for the yeah. most part. And that they, they were, they're doing pretty good. So we didn't plant nearly as much wheat this year as we did last year, but we had good bushels too. So it should be, uh, 
and prices coming up a little bit, so guys are actually a little, little more fun to talk with than they have been in the yeah. past. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's always a bright spot. Yeah, when they get out of the combine and they're not pissed off, that's that's step one. Yep. Yep. So unless they're running, you know, they could be running an eighty-eight couple of fleet eighty-eight twenties. Don't have a yield monitor. Shit looks good. Yeah, they just look in the bin. They know it's full. So. There you go. Drove all day though. I did watch a kid today run a, uh, I think it was an eight three twenty R and eleven hundred bushel grain cart, and he was probably eleven. And he that's was, awesome. He was driving that that tractor across the field like a bat out of hell, and I was, <laughs> I was laughing, watching him bounce around in the front seat. It made me laugh. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So he was his mom and dad are custom cutters, and they were. He was in charge of the tractor. Oh, so, wouldn't that be cool when you're 11 years old? What'd yeah, you do all be... summer? Run grain cart? Yeah. From Texas to Canada? Yeah. So he did a... Awesome. Pretty fun little jobber for the old 11-year-old there. Absolutely. Well, man, I think we've covered the gambit here, and it's always fun to talk to you, man. You bet, Duder. So uh, any before we go, you have any words of wisdom or enlightening thoughts you'd like to pass on to the interwebs the interwebs well as you know i'm pretty much when i open my mouth it's words of wisdom it's just on how you take it it's it's something all right i think everybody should go out tonight and have some lamb i really do it's it's Uh, that's right great healthy meat aaron Aaron fentel is a is a uh a sheep baron in uh, (laughs) The panhandle of Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, just, we're just like uh, just like the King Ranch, only sheep. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yep. So. Yeah. That's us. Open Skies Farms. Look them up on Facebook. You can't, uh, can't go wrong. There you go. There's a lot more. You can tell what I do for a living because there's a hell of a lot more pictures of equipment and stupid shit than there is of animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. Shit. No, I think I, you know, we we covered her all, and it is what it is. Okay, man. Well, thanks for being on my podcast, and wish you could have been the first guy out of the bucket, but I see how you are. Yeah, you know, I've it is it is so damn hard to be this important. I can tell. Yeah, you're. You know, I don't give. I don't give lectures, man. I don't give lectures and shit at. you know, farm equipment conferences or anything like some people, but, uh, busy man, busy man, but I'm number eight. Eight is great. So eight is truly awesome. Well, it's, it's always awesome talking to you. And this time we had a phone call where we actually recorded it. So (laughs) there you go, dude. All right, buddy. Well, take care of yourself and I will see you down the road. That'll work, man. All right, buddy. See ya. That's going to do it for this episode of Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank my good friend Aaron Fennell from 21st Century Equipment for being on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go out and move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.